that believeth and is baptized shall be filled and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So God doesn't change. We see an unchanging God from the Old Testament into the New Testament. We see a God that instructs the people of God to be witnesses of him to, to them. Believe me when I say this, because I don't want anyone to mishear it. I, I love the choir. I really do, and I get blessed before the services. But God never commanded people to be in the choir. And I, I love Nick's food ministry, but again, God never commanded anyone to be in the food ministry. He didn't command us necessarily to be in the administration side of a church, but he went to great lengths and it's recorded in multiple Gospels, he commanded us to go and tell. So with that, that in mind, we, we then get to ask the question, well, how am I doing against that? You know, what did I, what did I do this week? What, who did I tell? Who did I tell today? Did I even get up and ask God for the opportunity to tell someone about him? And make no mistake, it will cost. Firstly, there's that time in prayer in the morning to ask, to ask to be led of the Spirit, to have some wisdom. But above and beyond that, um, it's going to be costly to demonstrate the love needed to build the rapport and the relationship to get the opportunity to witness. And we're going to look at some examples of that in Scripture because you don't need to take my word for it. But I want you to be thinking along those lines. So the, the context of the chapter, we're going to go to John chapter 4, if you could. John chapter 4. And the context before that, in John chapter 3, we've got this situation where Nicodemus, the famous story where Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he was actually seeking. Jesus being God, read his mind, knew the question that was on his heart, and he went straight to it, and he said, you, you need to be born again. And he went into a description about that spiritual birth and he compared it to the physical and the water and so forth. Um, rarely in life will someone unsaved come to you and actually say, how do I get saved? How do I get into heaven? It happens. It happens. But what we see in chapter 4 and what we see generally in life is that Jesus is going to have to go to some trouble, in this case in a divine appointment, knowing something about this person and turning the conversation to the things that are spiritual. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so that's a little bit of history. So in John chapter 4, we get this like model evangelism um, and we get it all throughout Scripture with Jesus. So if we look through John chapter 4, understanding that verses 1 and 2 give us the background of how Jesus had to travel north. So he's, he's now um, going to... Go, it says in verse 2, verse 3, he left Judea, which is down in the south, and he departed to Galilee, which is in the north, and there's this dirty great blob called Samaria in the middle. A little bit of background, the Samaritans had been sort of washed over by the Assyrians, they were a half-breed, they'd taken a little bit of the Old Testament, at least the Pentateuch, the first five books, and they blended it with a whole lot of pagan religions, and they married, intermarried, and they were very much looked down upon by the, the Jewish elite and um, to the point where most people would travel around Samaria and uh, avoid any contact with them. 
if they had to go through, it was a painful thing and they ne generally wouldn't stop anywhere near anyone and, and talk or associate with them. So that's a little bit of the context. In um, verse 3 and 5, we see that uh, Jesus goes straight through. He, he doesn't take, let's say, the religious elites route to um, you know, abstain from even being near these unclean Samaritans. He, he goes straight through. He... he um, has a divine plan, in fact, to meet with someone and, and it's going to have some wonderful results. So in verse 7, we'll go down to verse 7, and it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that a Samaritan, uh, uh, sorry, a, the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask us, drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So she was astutely aware of the cultures not mixing, of the racism that was present. I don't believe in races. We're one race, it's human race, but of the, um, the, the bigotry that was existing. And so here what we see is that the woman recognising that is actually shocked. And uh, often we need to initiate this conversation. So the first thing we notice is Jesus initiates a pretty normal conversation to engage this woman. We also note that um, he's travelled a long way and that they're hungry and thirsty. It's now the middle of the day and it's hot and he's no doubt in his humanity hungry and thirsty. But look at what he's thinking and, and the story goes on. He says here that, um, And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now, the woman will go on and she'll ask for this living water. Um, but what I want you to note here is that Jesus is breaking down barriers. He doesn't have the barriers that people have. He doesn't see this half-breed Samaritan. He doesn't see that she's just a woman. Um, he doesn't see anything but a soul that's in need of salvation. In Leviticus chapter 19, 33 and 34, again going back to the Old Testament and seeing how God doesn't change, the Bible reads, And if a stranger sojourn with thee in the land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord thy God. Now looking at this command here to love and how it's replicated again when asked about the, the, the number one commandment, love God with all thy heart and all thy mind and love thy neighbour as thyself. So this is the key to evangelism. You see, barriers exist when there is self-love, but not love for others. A, a mentality of getting comfortable in church, and I get it, um, exists when I have self-love, because I can get around other Christians that think like me, and, and I like that. I don't like being uncomfortable. In my flesh, I don't like being looked at as a weirdo trying to give out gospel tracts in the street or trying to get someone into a Bible study or, or you know, just sparking a conversation about something spiritual. But there isn't a command in there that says these other things. It says go and tell. 
So I'm commanded to go and tell. I'm not, I'm not going to be measured on the results, but my heart has to be right to want to go and tell. And I'll run out really quickly of steam, and we'll see that if my motive is not love. I'll just take the rejections, get bitter and say I've done my bit and go back to my comfortable Christianity where I sit on Sundays and I get fat with a whole lot of knowledge and I don't share it. So we go to Matthew chapter 22 for a little segue and we see that love echoed again as I mentioned and the second is unto it thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we see here that God, Old and New Testament, is commanding us to love. And as I mentioned, love is going to be the key to any evangelism because it's going to come at a cost. We give to the people we love. We give in the family situation. We give to our closest friends. Why? Because we love to them. We love them, sorry. Point number two here. We go back to John 4. It tells us that the gift of God is eternal life because quickly he's going to start to turn the conversation to this spiritual. In verse 10, uh, Jesus tells her about the gift. He, he talks about the living water. He says, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given, uh, he wouldn't, would have given uh, thee living water. Now, verse number 11 and 12, her, her response is a little bit um, possibly. Uh, her, she's questioning just Jesus's credibility in comparison to to Jacob, who Jacob's well was was at this location. In verse fourteen, Jesus claims the ability to to give everlasting life. He's declaring to to this Samaritan his deity. Um, and verse fifteen, maybe still mocking, she says, "The woman saying unto her, Sir, give me to drink. Give me this water that I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw." And in verse 16, he's now going to speak with real authority. And I believe real love. Jesus responds in patience and mercy to her when he says, go call thy husband and come hither. Now, he was acutely aware of the situation, but he was wanting her to be now convicted. And that's really the next step. If, if the first is that you actually have to make contact, which is an investment of love and time and energy. The second being you've got to get onto the subject of eternal life. What's this all about, the, the, the gospel? The third one is absolutely involving the conviction of the sinner. You cannot give a prosperity gospel, a God can help you with your divorce, a God can help you with your money problems, a God can help you because you're feeling down. It has to be, do you know you're a sinner in front of a holy God? So he, he convicts her of her sin, um, uh, she says in 17, the woman answered, I, I have no husband. And then Jesus goes on to say, um, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast five husbands, and the one thou hast is not thy husband, in thou saidest thou truly. So you must be prepared to talk very directly to them about their sin. And we see that demonstrated here. This woman had, had lived... Um, a certain type of life and um, maybe that's why she came at midday alone uh, you know my time in New Guinea and, and noticing things around the world you tend to find in tribal life that people come early and late and they come in a community and she may well have been shunned for the lifestyle she lived by the other women and that usually got the water together verse 17 and 18 as he convicts her of her sin um, I believe he isn't wanting to um, 
I believe she isn't wanting to talk openly about her sin. And that's very common. Uh, people don't feel comfortable about it. It's not a, a comfortable thing, but it is absolutely necessary. It's a, it's a bit like you know the doctor's examination. There might be some pain to go through uh, before you, you get better. But verse 19, acknowledging Jesus as a prophet of God, which he is, and, and feeling guilty, she now asks, you know, where do I go right, get right with God? I don't think she was trying to divert. Often um, when you are talking about spiritual matters, someone will try and take you down the, well, you know, my, my uncle's an Anglican, whatever, and, you know, I, I grew up in a Catholic, you know, my second cousin's a priest, and whatever it is, you know, there's some just obscure stuff that gets brought up. I, I actually think here uh, she's not going down that. She's actually wanting to get right, and she's trying to work out, but different commentators will tell you different things. The, the point is, she certainly t starts to talk about where to worship in so far as getting right with God. And she wants to know more about this Jesus. Um, and at verse 21 uh, to 23, Jesus sort of sets her straight prophetically, telling her that both, you know, the, um, the mount she's talking about where the Samaritans uh, worshipped and, and where the Jewish temple is, the true place of worship, where God was trying to highlight that there is only one God, um, will, you know, literally, and in 70 AD it came true, be, be no more. So, so don't worry about that. You know, Jesus reveals the hour has come, as in his resurrection in the New Testament, when God will send his Holy Spirit to believers and geographic location will mean nothing in this New Testament. The ability to get in and get commune with God will not require going to the temple. Um, so, you know, point point number three and point number four really is um, the acknowledgement of false religion. So it kind of lends itself to verse 22, which says, "Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews." And he goes on in 23 to say, "But the hour cometh." And now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So if you look down there in 22, there's no other way to God. That's the, the point. Jesus says to this woman, uh, weighed down with her guilt for the sins that she had, um, that the Jews, they have the truth so far as scriptures, absolutely. Um, incidentally, you know, the, the religious leaders of the day, most criticised by Christ out of anyone, didn't have the heart, but they, they absolutely had the scriptures. But the Samaritans have this half-truth, which is in effect a full lie, right? We've got a whole lot of so-called Christian faiths today which are full of a lot of false teachings. And Judaism um, was there mixed with their, their other rituals and pagan religions. So false religion, including atheism today and good works and everything else needs to be confronted. It's, it's sin and here we see an example of, of false worship as well being, being uh, confronted. But the last and probably the most important is um, starting in 25 and 26, it says, believe me, because the sinner must believe Jesus' words. It's all about trusting in the word of God, um, our authority, Amen, is the scriptures. In verse 25 and 26, Jesus declares he's the Christ to an outcast, half Jewish, half Gentile, blended Samaritan, to a woman of an immoral lifestyle and ignorant of the true God who was not looking. She wasn't coming asking. And this is where God's love knows no barriers. 
and Christian, we have the Holy Spirit, which actually has that same love. What stops it is our flesh. If that's if we're dead at 18, if you're dead to you, happy birthday for yesterday, if I'm dead to me, then that spirit is supposed to walk. That's what Paul's talking about. I die daily. And so I think we just got to own it. First, you know, AO, we, we just got to put a hand up and say, you know, church, individual, Christian, um, what, what am I doing here? You know, I'm, am I just getting into a comfortable routine or am I actually obeying the commands I hear from my Lord and Saviour? So, you know, there were no barriers for Jesus. It didn't matter where she came from. It didn't matter her lifestyle. It didn't matter if it was bad for his reputation. It didn't matter if he was hungry. It didn't matter if he was thirsty. You know, I get the sense he moved and motored to get there because he knew what time he had to be there for her to be around the well. They were knackered because when they come back, they ask, you know, have you eaten? Have you drunk? You know, you must be starving. He said, my meat is to do the, the will of my father. But, and so our God is merciful, um, you know, the question is, David, is my heart like his? You know, are God's priorities to win the lost, um, are they my priorities? People with lifestyles offensive to you, sexuality, drug addictions, avid atheists, are you going to go and share with them? Because they're the people we're talking about. They're the Samaritans. We don't have Samaritans today. We have other people that are offensive with wrong doctrines and wrong beliefs but they're still people and God loves them. <laughs> in fact, they're more worthy than me, I promise you, if you knew me well enough. But consistently and after lots of rejection, and this is where the love's going to come in, not just to get there, but it's going to have to be sustained. So your Wednesday night Bible study and your Sunday morning, it's to feed the fuel to go and be able to share. It's to feed the love within you, which is going to handle the many rejections you know, I, I watch people all the time. I work in an industry, though I'm no longer in... Um, I was in IT for a long time. We used to joke, the sales guys would sit around the bubbler and chat a lot and talk all the time, and what they were really doing is avoiding the old cold call because people in their flesh hate rejections, and Christians are people. So if it's done in your flesh, you will give up. You will stop. So what what is all this... We're coming to the end. I'm supposed to be 20 minutes and I will close. I got saved in 2005. I was 40 years old. You now know my age because it's 2022. Yes, the sacrifice of Jesus saved me. The drawing of the Father saved me and the wooing of the Holy Spirit. But a guy from Arkansas, if I pronounced that right, I probably didn't, and his wife, whatever, um, Brad Kratzer and Deb Kratzer, who, who worked with us, um, the love they showed me, faithfully sharing the gospel, um, uh, you know, little library we met at North Lakes and uh, the meals and the stereo system when he crawled around my roof and put in and, and me questioning, what is this guy want? You know, like, why, why, why? That love absolutely convicted me. Yep, I had to get the head knowledge to understand the testimonies and the evidence. We have an evidence-based faith in Christianity. But the love absolutely was a major contributor. When I see him on the other side of this life, be able to look at him, you were a major contributor. Your wife was a major contributor. Little did I know they actually prayed for me for many years while she worked with me. But um, 
if I did title this, I don't know if anyone's filming and I hope it goes nowhere, but um, the title would be What Barriers Are Stopping You From Going? And the answer, as I said earlier, it's in my case, definitely self-love. Um, John 4, we, we learn how Jesus draws a woman to salvation and then uses her to evangelise to her village. When we write off that one person down the street, the little granny in the garden or the drug addict we think's too hard to work or whatever the barrier is, make no mistake that this one woman, it says in John 4.39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Now later they'll believe because his word, but what got them to go out was definitely the words of this woman because they hadn't met him yet. So don't ever underestimate. My point is that one person that you write off and don't go and tell absolute, or don't want to invest or the cost gets too high could actually be a major contributor to the kingdom of God. Personal evangelism and discipleship of others is a command. So how is your love? Um, how are you fueling it? How are you fueling your love? Anyway, we'll go to prayer and uh, with that, I'll let Jewel finish up.